Good morning. Well, I'm Bart. Usually you hear from Jay, um, but this week you guys get to hear from me, which I'm excited about. Um, <laughs> um, my daughter, my little daughter Kenley, saw my, me with this microphone on and she said, Ooh, Daddy, are you singing today? And, no, I'm, <laughs> yeah, no, no singing, no dancing. Um, Told her I'm preaching, I'm speaking. She didn't seem as excited. I think she would have rather heard me sing, but that wouldn't be good. Um, so for the past seven weeks, we've been looking at some of life's um, essential uh, issues, situations, um, some of the things that we find ourselves engaged in on a daily basis. And we've been looking at what the gospel, how the gospel, shapes those things. So the gospel is not some secondary issue in our lives. It's something that shapes everything that we are, our identity, and everything that we do. And the gospel can give us freedom. It does give us freedom. It gives us purpose in the midst of those things. And it gives us direction that the surrounding culture could never give. So this morning, I get the privilege to talk to you about the gospel and parenting. Um, I'm not a parenting guru. Um, I'm not a master parenter. Uh, my wife and I, probably on a daily basis, uh, encounter something with our own three kids that we've never encountered before and we feel unequipped to handle. So this is not me imparting, you know, the end-all, be-all wisdom that I've accumulated over my life or over my the 13 years that I've been a parent. Um, today, I really want... I want God to speak to us, myself included, on what it means to disciple our kids. What it means to not just do our best as parents, but sit still before God and understand the good news of Jesus Christ and let that flow out into our parenting. And I realize that when we talk about a topic like parenting, um, there are some who might say, well, this doesn't apply to me because maybe you're a grandparent and you've done the major hard work of your parenting already. Um, this applies to you. Maybe you don't have kids of your own and you watch parenting from afar. You see your friends or people in this community parent and you're not the primary parenter in anyone's life. This is for you. This message is for you. Um, maybe you are not yet a parent. Maybe you are 
um, hoping that someday or planning that someday you will get the chance and the privilege to parent. This is for you. And it's obviously for us as parents, those that are busy with the work of parenting on a daily basis. So no matter where you are on this issue of parenting, there's something that God, I think, requires of us. So if you're a grandparent, you can still parent. You can still come along your kids and your grandkids and disciple them. If you are part of this church community and don't have kids and and the plan for kids is maybe not clear or realistic or it hasn't happened yet or doesn't look like it will, there's grace that you can show to the parents in this church. There's ways that you can encourage on a daily basis. And from the perspective of a parent, there is nothing that I would want more than to have godly men and women come alongside my kids and teach them about Jesus. So no matter where you are, and I'm not just saying this so people don't tune out, um, I think this message is going to apply. Um, As I was working on this um, yesterday, just to show that, to prove that I'm not a parenting master or guru or anything, I'm working on this message yesterday, kind of putting the finishing touches on it. And my wife had run out uh, to run some errands, and I had my three kids with me. And I was down in my office working. And naturally, they're upstairs fighting. Um, So, they, you know, one at a time they would run down and tell on each other and, you know, demand my involvement on their case, you know, on on their behalf. And at one point, the thought really crossed my mind, you know, it's humorous now, but it wasn't then. It was (laughs) like, can you just stop fighting so I can finish this message on parenting? Like, <laughs> and, I, and I think that just gets at the heart of, like, parenting, right? Parenting is, it's everyday challenges. It's, it's, it can be a mess, right? It's not something that, when you're a parent, you experience the joy. It, there's no other joy like it. But when you're in the daily, moment-to-moment grind of parenting, sometimes you can lose sight of that joy. And when we lose sight of that joy, our instinct is to look for answers, right? How can I get help with this? How can I get some direction? My child is doing this. I want them to stop doing this. I need a strategy. And you don't have to look any further than Amazon.com. There are over 70,000 books in the self-help subcategory of parenting. Some of the titles, and 
they're contradictory sometimes, and you can see why this is a problem in our culture. The titles reveal so much about the struggle of parenting. There's a title called Simplicity Parenting, Scream-Free Parenting, No Drama Parenting, Raising a Self-Driven Child, Parenting with Love and Logic, and then my favorite, The Danish Way of Parenting. So we've said the American culture has nothing left to offer us with parenting. Denmark does. Like, let's go to Denmark. Let's ask them how to parent. And unless it's about the pastry, which I'd be more appealing, you know, that would be more appealing to me if it's, you know, pastry related. Um, But our culture doesn't have the answers. The fact that there's over 70,000 books on parenting shows that the culture can't provide the answers for parents. They could give you tips on behavior modification, like how to control your child within certain parameters or how to influence your child in a certain way. And And the instinct for all of us, for me, is like, to, to drift into those lanes of self-help or psychology to try and figure out parenting. But the gospel is the answer to parenting. The gospel gives us all the information we need. You don't have to go to Denmark. Um, you just have to understand the work of Jesus. You have to understand the holiness of God. You have to understand the brokenness of man. And when you see those things for what they are, the freeing truth of the gospel, the good news, it becomes good news for us as parents. It becomes good news that if you're not a parent, that you can share with a parent that you know. Without ever experiencing parenting yourself, you can come alongside them and give them the gospel and help them. So if you've been here, part of Cultivate, you know that we dialogue a little bit. And I want to start with the basics today. So I want to ask you guys, if you had to sum up, maybe you're a parent and you have personal experience with this, maybe you've observed parents, if you had to sum up the goal of parenting, what would it be? It's the goal of parenting. Yes. Sorry. Okay. So, to you've been given a child to care for and to f- bring them through this process where they're able to be mature and function on their own in some in, in spiritual ways, in real, real real ways, practical ways, but maturity, like a fullness of development, right? I think somebody else had something. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, purely survive. Make it through. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, not kill your kids. Okay. 
with answers like that, we can kind of see, you know, the, the struggle is real with this. What else? Yeah, Ruth. Okay. Yeah. Ideally, that would be it. And, and you know, that's ultimately the right answer. I found it's more difficult sometimes to, to actually put that into practice. But yes, yeah. Was that? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really think but what has to happen first? We have to experience that, right? We have to know it. Any other thoughts? Goal of parenting? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, set a good example. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Don't just tell them what to do. Don't just tell them the right thing, but model it. Show it. Absolutely. Okay, so expanding more on that that maturity aspect of parenting, where we're we're shepherding a child, <clears throat> so to speak. Oh, sure, yeah, <laughs> um, shepherding a, a child from you know infancy or immaturity to some end goal that we have, right? Anyone else? Goal of parenting? One of the, the first experiences I had as a parent, <clears throat> um, I was in the ministry, in full-time ministry, and <clears throat> we had Colin, my son, um, and my wife, we, out of necessity, kind of had to go back to work pretty soon after um, she gave birth to our son. And... I had a job where I, there was some fl- flexibility in my schedule and I could I could bring, you know, my son in to the office with me and work and he would take a nap and, you know, I think he was like three months old at the time of this story. So it was one day where, where she was working and I brought my son in and we had, a, a, a me, myself and the senior pastor had a meeting scheduled with a missionary um, who had been, had just come in from, uh, you know, the country he was serving in. So we had a lunch meeting, and I was like, kind of like, all right, hopefully Colin will sleep through this meeting. And naturally, you know, kids don't do what they want, especially babies don't do what you expect them to or want them to do. So in the middle of the meeting, he starts screaming. And um, he was he, he, he was such a, a, a mild-mannered baby except when he was not with his mom and couldn't be soothed by her. Dad was not enough. So 
we I had read a book about I think it was like the five strategies to you know calm a, a child, and I'm going through all five, trying to have this meeting, and you know, the, it was like shush swaddle. It was the five S's, all these things. I'm trying, like trying to be professional, and he's just screaming, 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 and and, and this. missionary that we were meeting with um, thought in the midst of this it would be a good time to ask me came up to me as I'm trying to calm Colin he said so so what's your parenting strategy (laughs) Um, like in this immediate moment is to not lose my mind and to, to have my son be quiet but like, it, it just, I felt, and it could have been me. It could have been a valid question. It didn't feel like one. Um, I feel like that the opportunity that we have to speak the truth of the gospel into the lives of parents, when they are worn out, when they are tired, when they are frustrated, when their kids are not doing the things, whether it's a baby that won't stop crying or whether it's a teenager that won't stop rebelling or making bad choices, we have to give the gospel. The gospel has to be the answer to this. And our goal... All the answers were, were great, were perfect. But what does that all boil down to? It boils down to discipleship, right? It boils down to saying, I, I have these children in my life and God wants to be in relationship with them. God desires to fix the broken relationship. He desires for them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we get the opportunity to do that. We get the opportunity to walk alongside them and bring them, hopefully, to the front door of that relationship with the Spirit's help. And that's what we're going to look at today. Parenting as discipleship. I have four points for you will be in the book of Romans, um, primarily. Our first passage we're going to look at is Romans chapter 7. So four ways the gospel should inform our parenting. The first way, parenting parenting with a gospel focus means rules are essential, but they're not enough. Romans 7, verse 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. And then Romans 7, 12 through 13 says, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, It used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment sin might become 
utterly sinful. So it's common sense to say that we as parents need to set up rules, right? We need to have structure as parents. We need to set our kids up with boundaries. The boundaries protect, right? Boundaries and rules, good rules, keep our kids safe. The purpose is to keep them safe. They show them right from wrong. They can teach what's good and what's bad. But the problem is, for a lot of us, the rules or following the rules sometimes can be the end goal, and it shouldn't be. An example of this in my own life, our daughter, Lily, um, she's 10 now. When she was three or four, we walked outside and we saw her drawing on our car with a rock. <laughs> and my wife, I think, said, she, you know, she's... Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's, that, that's one of the things that I, I, I was thinking about when sharing this story, or thinking about sharing this story, is like, with parenting, you so often excuse sinfulness as like cute, right? It's like, because we did, like we were, my wife and I were laughing about it last night, and it was, it's like, it was cute, you know? It was, we were, yeah, she was, you still mad? Yeah. Uh, it's still there. It is still there. Yes, on our car. So we we get to enjoy her artwork every day, and and see the the brokenness of her heart as well. <laughs> um, so we see her drawing on the car, just this cute picture of whatever that we would have been happy to see on a piece of paper. But so my wife says, "What were you thinking? Why did you do this?" And with a straight face, she said, you never told me I couldn't do it. You never said that I wasn't supposed to draw on the car with a rock. You never set up a rule. She was right. We never had. We never sat her down, and we never said, you can't draw on the car with a rock. So from then on, we said, now there's a rule. <laughs> and guess what she did? She broke the rule. She went out a couple days later and drew in the car again with a rock. <laughs> and that's, that's what rules are. When we just have rules, they set guidelines. They set parameters for our kids. They show them what we expect as parents, what is right, right and what is wrong. But ultimately, what do these rules reveal? that our kids are sinful, right? We can't come up with enough rules to address the real problem, and that's that our kids are broken human beings, just like us. This fact, I think, is too hard sometimes for parents to grasp, that their children are flawed and broken and sinful. So... When the rules show themselves to not be enough, we look for another strategy, right? We say we need more rules 
or we need different rules, or we need no rules. When the rules get broken, we can become overly strict or overly permissive because when we don't have an answer for why they're breaking the rules. And if they do follow the rules, what we're really saying is just be a good rule follower and you'll be okay. Or do the right thing in front of the right people at the right time and you'll be all right. When it's just rules, that's the message we're sending to our kids. But rules don't lead to life. Jesus does. In Romans 8, 1 through 4, we see that. It says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. There's a quote that I like from an author, Paul Tripp, who has a, it's a parenting book, you'll see it on Amazon. Um, but it's a good one. It's, it's gospel-centered. Um, it was helpful for me in, in preparing this. Um, and it truly is gospel-centered. It's not just follow my advice for parenting. He just lays the gospel out. But he says, if rules and regulations had the power to change the heart and life of your child, rescuing your child from himself and giving him a heart of submission and faith, Jesus would have never needed to come. So if rules can't change our child's heart, it needs to be Jesus. The next step in leading them to Jesus, though, is understanding our child's heart. The gospel informs parenting by revealing our child's true heart. Deuteronomy 11.16 says, Be careful or you won't be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. The first way that the gospel reveals our children's heart is as worshipers. We are worshipers. Every person is a worshiper. It's the question of what we worship or who we worship, right? We're all ruled by something. We all sacrifice to something. We all look to something or someone for salvation. It should be God. Oftentimes it's not God. But our children are hardwired, like us, to be idolaters because of sin. We're hardwired to be worshipers. The original intent was to worship God. But because of sin, that wiring now points to idolatry. It chases after everything but God, unless their heart is changed. Ted Tripp, who is the brother of Paul Tripp, also wrote a book on parenting. And he gave four areas where we can just look at our kids' lives and see the potential pitfalls for idolatry, for them to chase after worshiping something else. 
The first one is pride, performance, and praise. These are children that are driven by attention. Achievement is like a drug for them. They are driven. They are usually very successful. But they achieve for the sake for the sake of achieving, and they want the knowledge that they have conquered and accomplished something. And they want the praise that comes with that. The second thing is power and influence. These are the kids that are the organizers and the arrangers, right? When you have a play date, they've already got it figured out what everybody will be doing and where they will be, and they will be listening to them the whole time. Um, but that has real-world um, success written all over it, right? But the trap for these kinds of kids is it can turn into lying and manipulation. Their hunger for power and influence can cause them to use people for their own sake of control, sake of power, for their own desire to control. They will, if given over to this idol, will use people for their own means in life. The third one is pleasure and sensuality. These are the kids that are often bored, will do anything to have fun, will try anything new, and they're susceptible to anything that the world offers that seems fun or exciting or exhilarating. And the the fourth one is possessions. These are the kids with the extensive, well-researched, Christmas list. (laughs) They have a hard time sharing. They hoard what they have, and they just want more. And for me, I could see at points in my own life growing up, all four of these, how these idols had pulled me towards them at some point. And your child might not fall into neatly into one of these four categories. It might be a combination of some or all of them. But this is the reality. This is what our hearts crave, right? When it's not when we have not been changed by the Spirit, when we're not hungry for God in our lives, this is where we go. And two things to be mindful of these um, as parents. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree with a lot of these. I found in my own life. Um, If you struggle with a particular idol, it's going to be very easy for your kids to struggle with the same thing. Um, If there is a particular heart and mindset that pulls you away from God, your kids will see that. They will mimic it. 
They will adapt it to their own life and it will be easy for them to fall in the same traps that you did, that we did. And the second thing is, the thing that tends to bring us the most shame as parents is usually the hardest thing to deal with in our children. It can cause us to be too harsh or to turn a blind eye to their idols. So if there's something that you struggle with or you see in other people and you detest it and it embarrasses you and then you see it cropping up in your children, how do you respond? How do we respond? Do we buy another book? Do we say these books, the books I've had, I've, I've purchased so far don't work, there's got to be another book out there, right? I need more advice. And advice isn't bad, it just needs to be gospel advice. This is where, this is one of the ways that the believers in a church community can be so essential, are so essential. Maybe there's areas for, where we as parents are blind to the idols that our kids are chasing after, after because we do it ourselves and we don't see it in our own hearts. That's where we need godly men and women to come alongside and say, look, this is an idol. You're not chasing after God here. Let me help you. Let me show you grace. Let me give you truth. Our second identity um, or the way that the gospel reveals the heart of our children is as potential brothers and sisters in Christ. This, I think, should be the greatest joy and motivation for a parent, that our children will be part of the family of God with us. There's no trait, there's no achievement, there's no success that should matter above this. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that applauds the traits and the successes and the characteristics that they want to see in people, right? And they give attention to those traits and characteristics and successes. So then we respond as parents and say, let's, I, I, need to, I, I need to make sure they succeed in this way. Maybe it's grades, maybe it's sports, maybe it's anything. Money, make sure they have a, a good job. Maybe they have to look a certain way for you. Maybe they have to have a certain kind of personality that meshes well with the world and will give them acceptance in the world. But we're selling them short when we do that. Way short. When we see our kids as potential, as potential brothers and sisters in Christ, our parenting perspective shifts, right? It shifts in a way that as a parent, we can help them see their sin, 
but then as a brother and sister in Christ, we confess our own sin to them. As a parent, we help them see the right path. We develop a path for them in some sense. But as a brother and sister in Christ, we pray for them and restore them when they've strayed from the path. What more could a parent dream for than to know that their child will be in eternity with them? But we buy these watered-down goals that the world is selling. We see these things that the world defines as success and as true and as worthy and we push our kids in that direction willingly, push ourselves in that direction willingly as parents. Where our heart should be, I, I want them to know Jesus. I want my relationship with my children to change from just a parent and a child to be able to call them a brother and sister in Jesus. How strong is that desire for us today? How much energy are we putting into that? And this aspect of our children coming to know Jesus has as much potential for joy, like overwhelming joy, it has the same potential for overwhelming heartbreak. I can't imagine a more distressing, hurtful situation than if my kids did not know Jesus. If their eternity was in question, this should cause us to parent with urgency, right? But think about all the things that we are urgent with our children the ways that we're urgent with our children. Get good grades, finish your homework, go to sports, accomplish this. You know, be this model child. We will beg, borrow, and steal for you to be this model child. That's the message a lot of us are sending. It's it's easy to get there. Just please be successful in something, right? Do something better than everybody else. I don't care what it is. Just be better than the other kids in some area. And it's just shifting the focus away from God. Completely. We are very... I don't know if it's consciously sometimes, but we are very really turning their heads and their hearts away from God when we... Only pursue success and achievement and the worldly definition, the culture's definition of what a person should look like. With this, though, there is the potential to try and force a relationship with Jesus to happen, right? I grew up in a... um, 
the churches, two, two churches that I grew up in were on the line of legalistic. Um, and it was about getting a child to pray a prayer, convincing them, scaring them, uh, manipulating them, cornering them into saying things that they didn't even know what they were saying in order that the person that led them to Christ could say, I got to lead them to Christ, right? Maybe that's your experience too. And I see the temptation for that, right? You want your kids to know Jesus. You want them to be in that relationship with Jesus. You're desperate for it. So you'll try whatever you can to make it happen. But you can't make it happen. You can give them truth every day, and you should. You should pray for them. Surround them with godly people. But the work is God's. And that, for me, should drive us so much more to be on our knees about the salvation of our kids. Like, desperate for their salvation. Praying desperately that they would come to know Jesus and that their identity would be found in Jesus. The third thing we'll look at today is the gospel requires parents to be disciple makers. We have two verses, Ephesians 6, 4, and 2 Timothy 1, 5. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then 2 Timothy, we have this beautiful picture of the model of a disciple maker. Paul says to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. This never stops. Disciple-making never stops. There's no graduation for disciple-making when it comes to our kids. It's not like 18, okay, my job is done, I stop making disciples. I stop pointing them towards Christ. Whether you have grown children, grandchildren, toddlers, disciple-making should be the primary act of parenting. Everything we do and say, and I know it's not realistic, but our heart should desire that everything we do and say should point them towards Christ. And we're missing the point when we think it's the church's job alone to do this, right? I spent a lot of years in youth ministry um, and college-age ministry. And I saw a lot of parents who would drop their kids off at the church and say, This is your job to change them. Make them love Jesus. I'm going to go home and do whatever I want. 
And when they're with me, I can live however I want, but if, if you don't change my kid, you're failing. And it, it's easy to go to that place, right? It's easy to pawn off your kids onto somebody else and say, I'm sinful. I don't, I don't know a lot about the Bible. I haven't made too many mistakes. Somebody better should do this. There's not going to be anybody that has a more powerful impact in disciple-making than a parent. Even if they, not even if, They, parents make mistakes, will make mistakes, have made mistakes, will continue to make mistakes, and sometimes really bad mistakes. You're not off the hook from disciple-making. Confess it to who you need to confess it to, and depend on God to change your heart in ways that it needs to be changed, but still... Do the job of disciple-making with your kids. You can't. It, it won't work if you give it to somebody else to do. It won't. It will not work. They will see, they will hear maybe the right message from the people that you've pawned them off on, but they will look at you and say, why are you not telling me this? Do you not believe this? Is this not who you are too? Why do you want me to be someone that you're not? Those questions will pop up in their head at a young age and they will do more harm than good when it comes to their faith, i found. So yes, be a provider, but nourish them in the word of God. Be a protector, but also train them that Jesus is worth risking everything for. We're not going to be the only source of disciple-making in their lives, but we will be the main source. We should be the main source. Just like Eunice and Lois for Timothy, besides God's word the best tool that we have for disciple-making is our own lives. And don't say, I'm, t- I'm not good enough. Well, you're not. We're not we're, none of us are good enough. We'll never be good enough. But don't use that to say, I can't, deci- I can't disciple my kids. Because... Up until this point, I've made too many mistakes. I haven't practiced what I'm going to preach. Start. Just come alongside them and say, maybe you are saying, I'm I'm an immature follower of Christ, and you come alongside your kids and we say, we're going to grow together. We're going to walk together and we're going to We're going to grow in Christ the same rate, the same time, in the same ways. Even if you're a new believer, even if this is 
the first day that you are in the family of God, you can start discipling your kids. You should start discipling your kids. The fourth thing. The gospel frees us from the belief that our value depends on our parenting. Parents, I, I know the stress, the hurt, the overwhelming disappointment that can come from parenting. I know the heartbreak. I've seen heartbreak in parents. I've experienced heartbreak as a parent. But God is not basing his approval on you by how you parent. You're not accepted by God if you're a good parent. You're accepted by God because of Jesus. Romans 8, 31 through 34 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge to get charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. God's disposition towards us does not depend on how you parent. And parents, in case you haven't noticed, are really good at judging other parents. Um, we're really good at analyzing the problems that other parents have with their kids, right? And coming up with solutions for other parents. Maybe it's a diversion from our own failures, right? I, for me, that probably is what it is. You don't want to look at the things you've done wrong, it's easier to look at other parents and their kids and say, Man, at least we're not like them, right? It's easy to diagnose what's going on in a child's heart that you see a couple times a week versus one that you live with. I don't know why that is. It's easy to look at a parent and say, They're failing in this area, this area, and this area. They just need to get their act together, right? But you give yourself a lot of grace. I give myself a lot of grace. We don't give as much grace when we're judging others. It's no coincidence, though, that the most freeing truth about our parenting is that we are children of God. For me as a dad, the most important truth about who I am is that I am a child of God the Father. The more I understand that, the more successful, for lack of a better term, I I will be as a father. The more I am dependent on my Father in heaven, the better father I will be. 
we're accepted. There is nobody that is pointing fingers at you before God and saying they're failing as a parent. There is failure, yes, we are going to fail our kids often, but there is grace and there is peace and there is loving correction and there is hope because of Jesus. There's not fear, there's not judgment, there's not disapproval, there's not rejection. That does not <clears throat> exist in our relationship with God. So when you are alone with your thoughts and, and evaluating yourself as a parent and saying, I, I have dropped the ball so many times. How could God have given me these children to take care of? He must have made a mistake. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. He is looking at you through the, the lens of Jesus. He is seeing his perfect, righteous, approved, loved son. He's not seeing a parent who has failed. Does he want to correct you and, and discipline you lovingly? Yes, he will through his spirit. Our failings and our successes in his name are not ignored by him. He knows he's just and he's good. But our standing with him does not matter on how well we parent. And maybe you're sitting here today and you've already done your parenting. Your kids are grown. And you're saying, I dropped the ball so many times. If you're a child of God, he does not see the failures. He does not judge you by the failures. He, he does not accept or reject you based on the failures or the successes. To those this morning who feel judged as a parent by the people around you, your identity is in Jesus, not in your parenting. To those who have failed in parenting, which is all of us, there's nobody that can point a finger at you before God. To those who are in community with parents, you're an essential instrument of grace to the parents around you. Preach the gospel to each other, parents. Instead of pointing the finger of judgment and saying, this, their child needs this, that parent needs to do that, come alongside of each other and preach the gospel. Remind each other of who you are in Jesus. Tell the truth of the good news. Think about what our kids would look like if instead of feeling judged and criticized and 
overprotective or oversensitive about our parenting if we lived in community with one another where we were free with each other because of grace. That we could put our arms around each other as parents, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as grandparents, as not yet parents, and say, we are all in this together. And it's because of Christ that we get that privilege to be in it together. So my, my heart today is to have encouraged you. That is what I hope happened. Because I know that parenting is the... I don't know, it's cliche to say it's the hardest job in the world, but I mean, I, it is. And I know that there are people in here who are concerned about their kids' hearts that are worried about their ability to parent, that are maybe not yet parents and looking forward and saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Maybe they're looking back and saying, I don't know why I did that the way I did. And I wish I could have it over again. There's grace for all of us. There is hope for all of us as parents. And if we hide behind the shame of our failures or past mistakes, or insecurities. We are never going to lead our kids the way God needs us to lead them. We're never going to be able to cross from rule makers to disciple makers. We're never going to be able to see our kids' hearts for what they really are and instruct and guide them the way we should. Let's pray. Father, I just... I thank you for my kids. I thank you for all the lives here that are represented as parents, as grandparents, as brothers and sisters who share in the parenting responsibility. Lord, I just pray that you would inform our parenting, that you would change our parenting in light of the gospel, that we would see that your truth is big enough to influence and affect what any parenting issue that we may face. Lord, I pray for those today who are feeling like they're failing as a parent. I pray for those who are 
hurting because their kids are not believers or their kids are straying or making bad decisions. I pray for those who feel inadequate as parents. I pray for those who have made mistakes and are looking back on their parenting with regret. Lord, I ask now through your spirit to erase those hurts. Help us to see who we are in Christ as parents. And Lord, if there's some who are just hearing about this gospel, reading your words, your word for the first time and saying they need that, Lord, even now bring them to yourself. Lord, I just pray that you would bring every child in this community to know you. Use us as parents as the primary source, but Lord, use every person in this building to bring many kids into the kingdom. Lord, thank you for the joy of parenting. Thank you for the wonderful kids that are in this building right now. Thank you for all the gifts that you've given them. Each one unique. Each one created in your image. Each one loved by you. Thank you for them. Help us, Lord, to cherish them by making disciples, by making followers of Jesus. Lord, make that an urgent thing in our lives. Impress upon us the, the, the need, the absolute need to see our kids the way you see them and to, to feel a great desire and motivation to bring them to you and fill their lives with truth. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for how it's impacted us and brought us to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.